hello and welcome back to another episode of the Cardboard Herald, my chance to talk with creative gamers and game creators. And joining me temporarily from Costa Rica is Andrew Navarro from Earth born games welcome to the show man thank you very much for having me i'm happy to be here yeah i'm glad that you're taking a break from all of your friends guests whatever situation is going on there where they're eating dinner and you're here talking to me from costa rica (laughs) to alaska it's an amazing world we live in isn't it for sure for sure so speaking of an amazing world dude you just came out with this this game it's getting delivered to backers Earthborn Rangers is beautiful, it's gorgeous, it's lush, and that's the reason why we're here, to talk about like the long road getting to the point of this game coming out. How long have you been working on Earthborn Rangers? Oh man, well we're still working on it because we're working on the campaign expansion right now, so I've been working on Earthborn Rangers for about three and a half years at this point. What was the genesis? Because I, I noticed when you go to the BGG page for this, most of the times you go to the BGG page and you see like there's a designer or there's two designers, but you got a whole handful of designers on this project. <laughs> I feel like yeah. there's some kicking around, wheeling and dealing, you know, like the, there's a real uh, uh, game design soup going on here. So tell me about the origins. Yeah. So, uh, well, from that perspective, um, I started working with uh, Adam and Brady Sadler, who are uh, two guys who I um, uh, enjoy quite a bit. Um, they've, I think most recently with Blacklist, maybe Brady was with Lucky Duck for a little bit, uh, but they both worked at FFG and I got to know them there and, uh, they did some freelance work for us, um, during my time at FFG. Anyway, I like them a lot and I know they really like card games. So I had this idea to do kind of an LCG style game at the time when I was talking to them first, like at the beginning of 2020, it was, it, it was very different from what it eventually became. Uh, at the time, I really wanted to, uh, you know, start my company, my new company, off strong by uh, creating a product that had uh, good cash flow. Like that's something that Christian Peterson taught me about really early on is like the importance of cash flow for a board game right. company. And I knew how uh, the LCGs worked, you know, with the releases every month or every other month, but you know, they've turned into every quarter or every year now. Uh, so I originally envisioned this game as a, as a game that was more like a traditional, like LCG style game that came out with monthly releases so that we could have a solid foundation of money coming in and we could build from there. Uh, that all went out the window really fast. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Uh, all, all through like the first like year, year and a half, two years of working on Earthborn. Uh, the thing I learned the most was making those style of games requires a huge team uh, to do them at that pace. And since I'd never really done anything on my own to this degree, uh, I, I, I just didn't have the context for that. So uh, that ended up just being something that was not possible to do. There's no way me and a couple of freelancers could put out a, a quality product like every couple months. It just wasn't going to happen. Not very viable. No, not at all. Just not, just, just not possible. Uh, and there, there's a lot of things I've learned uh, running my own company in the last few years that uh, where I've gained all sorts of new perspective and appreciation for the different roles at uh, at Asmodee and FFG that I knew about 
but didn't fully comprehend until now, until I had to do it myself. <laughs> right, 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 right. So, uh, but anyway, so um, uh, originally approached the Saddlers because I knew they really they were big fans of Arkham Horror. They really liked the LCDs. They liked Lord of the Rings, like card game, and I wanted to do a uh, cooperative card game along, you know, kind of a similar type thing. Um, and uh, I knew they'd be interested in uh, doing the design. So I had some basic ideas that I brought I brought to them. Um, and I had some very specific ones, like I wanted to feel kind of like an RPG. I had the, uh, the challenge resolution system, uh, just a basic, uh, basic idea of what I wanted, because I had played Gloomhaven recently, and I liked... Mm-hmm. I liked the card reveal thing. I was like, hey, we could do something like that. Yeah, the DNA uh, is totally in there. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then, um, you know, I talked about a couple other things and said, you know, just go. Uh, so they started working on the first the first version of the game um, in early 2020. And at that same time, I was working with Sam Gregor Stewart on The World. And uh, as they were putting together the skeleton of the design, we were fleshing out the details of what would become the valley. Now, the world itself, this is a post-apocalyptic game, and you don't, you know, shy too much away from that. It's not like a, a big reveal. You can see remnants of future technology in here. Was that something that was important to you or the team from the get-go to kind of set in this post-apocalypse fantasy a la, say, Thundar the Barbarian or Sword of <laughs> Shannara or something like that? Uh, well, I, 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 so I don't like using the word fantasy because to me that says from the get go, like this isn't possible. Right. Right. Uh, and what I really wanted to try to do was create a world that seemed somewhat believable, um, Mm -hmm. that we could potentially get there. And I really wanted to set the story, set the world after all the troubles are done. Like I, I didn't want to dwell in that fallout style. Everything is horrible all the time. People <laughs> yeah. are horrible to each other. I wanted to get past that and not necessarily uh, like gloss over it, like pay, be respectful of the time that has passed, but show that we went through a troubled time. We came out on the other side and now this is where we are. So we're, we have this, you know, like a, apocalypse. It's not necessarily an apocalypse because, uh, the people of the earth figure stuff out. Right. right. Um, and while not everyone made it through that period and it was a difficult period of uh, the settings history, uh, everyone came out the other side of that way better off. Um, so I think that was for me, like working with Sam, the thing that was most interesting to me was trying to put ourselves in that headspace of, you know, say, you know, 2,500 years in the future people have gone through this thing. Um, how different are they than, than we are? Like, what is their frame of reference? How would they treat each other? What things would be important to them? Uh, what would their values be? Uh, what would their technology be like? How would they want to live? Um, these were all questions that were super interesting to me, far more interesting than just what most, uh, you know, post-apocalyptic games, futuristic games set on earth dwell in, which is, 
mostly human misery. <laughs> and I just wasn't interested in dealing in any of that stuff. Even apart from post-apocalyptic games, just apart from most games in general, uh, especially campaign games, one of the things that struck me is just the the kind of tonal quality, the, the texture of the world is not inherently combative right you know like you you definitely have dangers and threats and suspense in the world but this isn't inherently a game of survival it's not inherently a game of conquest it's not inherently a game of i need to go to this castle to kill these people you are helpers you know that you you are rangers you you are the the people who are helping the denizens of this valley through their highs and lows and the various things that you can do and that must seem like such a distinct thematic uh uh direction to go into as compared to your lengthy history at fantasy flight games for sure where you know <laughs> yeah. you guys were known as the brawlers right you know the the brawlers <laughs> the beaters the mystery the explorers you know like all that kind of stuff um was that aspect like bringing a new flavor to even what the the concept of you know uh, uh adventuring in this world would be yeah, yeah, and that was really important. I, I, because I feel like you know, like you just listed off, like there's so, so many games. Most games in the hobby space deal in kind of the same thing. It's a lot of combat, a lot of, a lot of conflict, um, and uh, and violence, uh, and all stuff. You know that like I've enjoyed. I enjoyed working on all of those things. I still enjoy playing those games. But there's so many of those things. I, I didn't feel like doing another one yeah. would <laughs> is really <laughs> necessary. So, right. Yeah. So I really wanted to try something different that could be appealing to more people because uh, I, I feel like this uh, this kind of like deeper card game um, that's uh, it's you know it's got basic systems that are pretty easy to understand, but it's got like a layer of complexity that if you haven't played a game like this before like a magic or you know any kind of collectible card game or a cooperative card game before it can be it can be pretty daunting um but i feel like when you try to share these games with other people oftentimes the theme is what turns them off not the complexity of the mechanics so mm, i wanted yeah. to make a game that uh you could play with your kids and not worry about like oh there's this really like it's really fun don't worry about all the gross imagery right and right like, you know, like arkham horror is a is a car, the card game is a great game I, I love it uh but you know it has like images of people like gouging their eyes out <laughs> like it just lots of really really intense gross imagery uh and you know what happens to your characters is really intense and it's uh, I think a lot. I think there's there's a fair amount of people who are just kind of put off by by that type of thing. Mm -hmm. um, so I wanted to create something that you know provided a, a similar level of of depth and complexity, mm -hmm. but was uh, was appealing to to more people and like I said, and brought something different, something that just I wanted to create a world that that felt good to be in. Yeah, I, I like the idea that the game compels you to help, but not out of like a, a personal gain. You know, like I, I've seen some other um, open world 
type of card games. You know, I've played Seventh Continent and really enjoyed mm. that. Or uh, I, I've played uh, Sleeping Gods, for example, mm. as an mm-hmm. open world system. But in both of those, the the thrust of the game is survival. You've been put into a dangerous survival situation. So any help that you're giving is really uh, about this self-centered notion that I need to survive. This game, you drive forward because you want to help other people solve their problems. And I think that alone gives it uh, just enough of a twist that uh, lets it stand apart and also feel so obvious at the same time, right? Like, you (laughs) know, like, come on, you know, there's a thousand of these other games, which are great games, but you know how many how many games at least in the 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 campaign adventure game space uh are you like just a helper you're you're someone helping people with their personal or great global problems yeah absolutely now i would be a fool if i didn't talk to you a, a little bit about like your your lengthy history in the this entire career that you've had i definitely want to talk more about earthborn rangers and earthborn games as a company but let's give us a little bit more context for how you got here um now you spent a lot of time uh, what 15 years at fantasy flight games yes okay okay so were you a minnesota guy to start with or did you end up getting recruited over to there (laughs) no not not at all uh uh, actually, uh, I, so I was born in Wisconsin, which, you know, neighbors Minnesota, uh, but I, uh, moved to Ohio when I was a teenager or when I was, when I was younger, I was there through my teen years. I went to school down there. Uh, and then, uh, just life circumstances led me back up North. I ended up in Minnesota. And, uh, at the time when I, when I got the job at FFG, I had been working for, maybe about a year as a freelance illustrator uh, for for a lot of like uh, indie RPG projects um, that I just kind of found my way there through uh, this website called The Forge uh, online, which is a old school. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, It was great. Like I, I, you know, so I got got in touch with a bunch of guys there and uh, just did it. Did, did some jobs and then every time I do a job, people would then refer me to other people. And then I just was doing more and more. Uh, for very, very little money, but it was, uh, it was a lot of fun cause I was, uh, technically like unemployed at the time. Uh, <laughs> technically. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, I, I was unemployed enough to collect unemployment checks. It was the first time uh, that I've ever been like fired from a place that I, were, I used to work at Starbucks and I, through some ridiculous circumstance ended up getting fired by Starbucks and, uh, but then had this awesome opportunity to, um, so you have money through unemployment, but then work on my, uh, art skills and my freelance. And that was really, really awesome. It was an amazing, it was an amazing moment in my life, uh, where, um, all I did all day long was just draw and it was great. Um, it was so much fun and, uh, my skills improved vastly in that time. And, uh, but it didn't last forever. Obviously, eventually I had to get a job. And uh, it had been maybe a couple months. I had gone to Gen Con. I'd, I'd shown my stuff around. Uh, I didn't really get a whole lot of bites. Um, it was near the end of the D20 era. And uh, when everyone was doing all these you know, D20 supplements that had all these really right, cool, right. like, 
pencil illustrations or like black and white illustrations. And that's like what I was best at. Uh, so I feel like I, I missed out on my window of, uh, <laughs> of working in the, on Dungeons and Dragons products by a couple of years. Um, but, uh, uh, during that time, I, I I stopped by the FFG booth at, at Gen Con and showed my stuff there to a guy named Rob Vaughn, who was in charge of the RPGs at the time. Uh, he and I later became friends, obviously. Uh, but uh, he he said he'd call. He said he'd send me an email. He never did. Um, <laughs> uh, but uh, when my unemployment was running out, I needed to find a job. I had gotten like a temp job someplace. Um, I was like stuffing envelopes or something and, and, uh, almost everywhere I'd, I'd ever, ever worked for like temp work or whatever. I'd always get, end up getting offered, uh, like a full-time job because, uh, I'm a reasonably capable person do a good job. They're like, yeah, let's just hire that guy. <laughs> so I had an opportunity to get this, you know, this, I don't know, some admin, another administration job in an office building. And I was like, man, I don't want to, I don't want to do that again. I'd done that once before. And it was, there are a couple times before, and it's uh, I don't know, it was very very draining on me. Um, but then uh, my wife suggested I uh, look online to see if Fancy Flight was hiring because she remembered that, that they were in town. Uh, so I did, and uh, they were for a customer service position. So uh, I applied, got the job, and uh, that's how I started in like 2004. So uh, customer service for FFG. 2004, uh, let's see here. Uh, Battlestar Galactica had not come out yet or had uh, No, cuz I worked on yeah. I worked on Battlestar Galactica. No, the the games that came that were pretty new at the time was uh Twilight Imperium 3rd edition. Mm -hmm. Doom had just come out. There you go. Uh, Warrior uh, Knights maybe around there. Nope, cuz I worked on that Okay, one too, there, you so worked no. on all of them, of course. Uh no, uh so yeah, Doom was a big one cuz I, I remember seeing that and being like, "Oh man, that looks like Space Hulk." I'm excited about that. Uh it ended up being nothing like Space Hulk, much to my disappointment. Um but uh War of the Ring had just come out. Um and they uh, FFG had published that in the states. Right, right. Um yeah, so right around that time uh, so, yeah, so I started doing customer service, and then from there, I ended up getting a job in graphic design, and then I worked in graphic design for about six years, and I worked on Warrior Knights, Battlestar Galactica, Cosmic Encounter, Game of Thrones 2nd Edition, maybe? Yeah, Game of Thrones 2nd Edition, yep. yep. Uh, no, I didn't work on Game of Thrones 2nd Edition, the board game. Mm -hmm. Yeah. No, well, I worked on the card game. Okay, there you go. Yeah, the first version of the LCG, that, that was me. Yeah, that, that board game was Kevin Childress. He worked on that. Oh, okay, there you go. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I worked on a bunch of stuff over those six years and then dabbled a little bit in art direction during that time and then uh, ended up um, a position opened up to uh, run the art department, uh, which was kind of a new thing because art had been done by pretty much one person up to that <laughs> point. <laughs> but we were, doing, we were doing all these LCGs. We were doing all these 40K RPGs. We had so much art. It was ridiculous. Uh, so we needed an uh, honest-to-goodness department. So um, uh, Chris promoted me to do that, and I did that for a few years. And then after that, I moved on to our, uh, our digital team to work on some apps and the app-integrated board games. So like Mansions of Madness, uh, XCOM. Yeah, yeah. Yep, XCOM was the first one. Man, that was, <laughs> that was something. I mean, that, that's, that's actually, to me, like, you know, like, 
I, I've been playing games my entire life, uh, for variety of games, you know, starting with Hero Quest and uh, then, you know, like playing Magic when it first came to Alaska. 1995, I think, is when Bosco's Cards, Comics, and Games got this new game, Magic, you know, and my older brother and I playing that. And then, um, you know, following through games. Uh, but I think the first time when I really heard about this controversy of app integrated games like the game is not playable unless you have a device was with xcom and you know like you had a hot designer on the game you had a legendary publisher at that point because like if you were into american style games then you were into fantasy flight games and then XCOM is also one of the most legendary computer gaming properties. And so, like, it kind of put all this attention on it. And, man, the number of internet fights over whether or not (laughs) apps belonged uh, integrated with board games was something else. Yeah, yeah. No, yeah, we were definitely... uh, Chris really believed really strongly in it. And uh, it was a a pretty intense project to work on. uh, but it was a lot of fun. Learned a lot. And then, you know, we, we applied a lot of that knowledge to Manchester's Madness Second Edition, uh, mm-hmm. which I think is a much, much better integration of an app. Uh, and then later, obviously, uh, much, much later onto, uh, you know, the current version of Descent, which I think is kind of like the kind of the pinnacle of the uh, of the integration of the app in a board game. Totally. totally. Uh, yeah. So then after after that, I became the uh, uh, creative director uh, at FFG uh, and then became the head of studio so what when did you become creative director like roughly uh 2015 14 okay 16 wow yeah wasn't that i wasn't that i wasn't in that role for very long i was a uh kind of a um training wheels role before i became head of studio during this time you got to see the the incredible shift in this industry right you know like when you started at fantasy flight games no one had heard of crowdfunding a project right yeah. crowdfunding a project meant christian t peterson trying to you know get people to help fund twilight imperium first edition that's what that yeah. meant yeah you know how long during this trajectory you know 2016 uh 15 16 you become creative director was there any point during this where you were like you know what if i had my own studio i started to think about it a little bit just starting to get ideas for things like and wondering you know maybe i'd be interested in going off and doing it on my own but uh i don't know it it was Working at FFG was challenging uh, at times, for sure, but it was also incredibly satisfying. Right. And I got to work with some really amazing, talented, and knowledgeable people. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, so like, I, I wasn't like hot to leave or anything like that. Um, most, of the, my, most of my experience in talking about crowdfunding was mostly like us looking at it as what is this? Is this something that we should do as a public? Like, this seems weird if we were to do it because we're established, we don't need to do it, but, but man, look at how much money they're making, (laughs) (laughs) Uh, you know? So a lot of conversations wondering if it's something we should do or not. Um, a lot of really interesting, uh, observations from the people on the business side 
who saw what was possible through crowdfunding and not possible through the traditional methods. Um, because, you know, at, at FFG, we were, we were making products for distribution. So, you know, the, the, the goals there are very, very different than the goals of a, a game that comes on, comes to a crowdfunding campaign, right? Like right. you can do whatever you want because you're just, you're taking all that margin for yourself. So, like if you're charging, you know, like two hundred dollars for a game that costs you like seventy five dollars to make, fine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it doesn't that doesn't work uh, when you're making games for distribution. So um, I remember it being like just kind of like an eye opening moment for some people uh, to just see what could be done, and maybe a little bit of little bit of envy and jealousy going on. Uh, but uh, thankfully, you know, while we were there, we were still. We, we we had so much success uh, that th there was very little that we that we couldn't do right. uh, if we put our mind to it. Um, sometimes we did things that maybe we shouldn't have done just because we could, <laughs> but I'm glad we did them anyway. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, you know, like, we don't have to dwell on this. I, I'm sure that uh, you've been uh, asked privately or publicly a million times about, you know, the transition from... Uh, fantasy flight games to FFG being uh, Asmodee USA and that kind of stuff mm -hmm. and your mm -hmm. exit. Uh, but, you know, clearly at a certain point you decided I am going to, you know, take a chance on uh, creating your own studio, working with uh, other folks uh, who you knew through the industry who may have worked with you at Fantasy Flight or, you know, been contracted with Fantasy Flight at a certain point. Um what are some of the things like just as a, a publisher or a studio that you have as a freedom or or something that you're still amazed by like oh i can just do this now i'm not covered <laughs> by the red tape you know yeah. like whether it was asmodee or maybe it was you know having a boss or someone else but yeah. you can just go that's awesome that i can just make this decision yeah no that's it right there is I, i'm not I don't have anyone that I need to report to, like, except in some ways the backers in, in, of course. in like, I, but, uh, I think our backers have been awesome. Uh, they're, uh, they've been very, very supportive, um, and haven't really, haven't really bristled at any of the creative decisions that I've made. Cause I think and I've talked about it. Like I've been pretty clear where the game that I'm making, even though I, you know, obviously I appreciate the backer support and couldn't do it without them. Um, I think they know, at least I hope they know that the game's going to be better for me to not do what they want, but to, <laughs> to do what we think is best. <laughs> uh, so, um, just being able to rely on my own creativity and, uh, my own direction, um, and make decisions, uh, is, is awesome. Like I, I love not having to justify any any creative decision to anybody. You got an example, like a specific example of something where you're like, I know this would not fly had I been working <laughs> for another publisher. Yeah, well, um, I, the scope of the game definitely wouldn't fly right. uh, at all. Um, the style of the game, um, it, it being a, a card game uh, that's expensive, that's all in one box is like, even people who understand pricing still 
get weird about there being like a hundred dollar card game. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, even when I point out like the again to the example of Arkham Horror, like hey, if you buy this campaign expansion and the player box, it's more than a hundred dollars. <laughs> like, and, right? you, and you want them both. Like you're gonna spend more. Like I just I'm putting it all in one box and it's less. Why are you freaking out about the price? Um, so, uh, uh, so that's, uh, that's funny. So yeah, so that, that's one thing I think for sure would be really, really challenging at a tr traditional publisher, especially the way that we produced it. Um, because pretty much every decision I made on the manufacturing side made the game more expensive. And that is the opposite of what you do when you're trying to run a uh, for-profit business. <laughs> well, well, let's take a tangent on that because it's clear, you know, that the, there is a commitment to uh, certain ecological and sustainable standards in the production of the, the game, you know, like it's all recyclable components, right? There's not an ounce of plastic that I found, at least in the review copy that I got said. Yeah, no. Um, yeah. The, the cards were wrapped, uh, you know, in... Uh, recyclable materials instead of cellophane. Um, and that really impressed me. Like that that was just like a tonal difference in opening the box and seeing what was in there. Um, was that something that came out of uh, like your commitment to the theme of the game and it just occurred to you in the middle of production? Or was that like one of those decisions that was foundational to the company starting out? Yeah, that was foundational to the company. Um, yeah, when, when I first started out, I uh, was working with um, another guy who I'd worked with at Asimov uh, named Mike, Michael Hurley, and we kind of started on it together. And then uh, I ended up uh, kind of just tank it, tanking it over on my own uh, after a little bit. But that was something that uh, I thought was really important to try to, to, to push for. And the fact that we were going to try to go to uh, to crowdfund, not necessarily crowdfunding, but try to try to not really engage in distribution, try to go direct to consumer and then to uh, like individual retailer partnerships, knowing that we uh, were going to be capturing more of that margin because of that fact made me made us feel like we could push the sustainability side and do things more responsibly. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, yeah, as far as it you know, being married to the theme, that was just kind of a happy accident. It's just kind of the way <laughs> things worked out. Uh, and it's, it's a nice confluence of things uh, for sure, but it, that was not part of a master plan. It just all kind of came together that way. I think maybe just because that's where my head was as we were developing the game. Yeah, well, I mean, it, it just, again, kind of has this narrative, I guess, of being, you know, like a, a different approach to things. We don't have to do things the same way that we've always done them in the past, which, yeah. you know, I, I, as a reviewer who gets sent games great and small to check out, I buy games I'm interested in, you know, like I, I try to not be a hoarder and have every game under the sun, you know, like I only want to have so many games that I'm going to be able to get to the table. And even the amount that I do keep is still too many. And I look at the pile of games that I have to find homes for because I cannot throw them away. Like I am unwilling <laughs> to throw them away, not just because they're games, but because I don't want to have a landfill full of miniatures. Yeah. Um, it, it's definitely a, a different approach that um, I, I really appreciate. Yeah. Now, 
the opposite must also be true to my earlier question about the freedoms and luxuries you have as uh, your own publisher. There's got to be a couple moments where during the production of this game that you're like, oh man, this problem would have been solved by someone else had <laughs> I still been at FFG. You know, like, have you ever run yeah. into any of those moments? Oh, yeah. Yeah. No, I think all through production and then through fulfillment uh, and post, post-production, um, that was all stuff that was brand new to me. Um, I was obviously aware of it and worked with people who worked on that thing and were... Uh, you know, I was part of the leadership group at FFG for a, over a decade. So I got to sit in on lots of meetings and learn lots and lots and lots from from those people. But like I said earlier, you know, hearing about a thing and doing a thing are just completely right. different. Because <laughs> uh, like when you're here in a meeting and, you're, and someone's complaining about uh, one problem or another, you go, oh, yeah, that sounds tough. And like, oh, yeah, I would do that. And then. <laughs> You know, then you don't actually have to do it. That this goes off, and then you hear the report of how it went later on. Uh, but yeah, it's it was it's really challenging. Um, and uh, to try to do all that while still making time to do the creative work uh, is also very challenging. So you end up going through all these peaks and valleys of, you know, I'm doing creative work for this this month, and then I'm completely neglecting this entire other portion of the business. And then I'm doing this other part of the business here, and I'm completely neglecting the creative part. So uh, just having a small team where it's just, it's it's me, it's three other guys, two are full-time and, and one's part-time. Uh, and that, you know, that is a much, 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 much smaller team than what we had uh, when I was working at FFG. Uh, so we all have to do different things. And I kind of like, <laughs> kind of like when I worked at FFG, I would, I take on all of the things that I know no one else would want to do, even though <laughs> yeah. I don't want to do them. I know that role. Uh, yeah. So I, I end up doing that a lot and I'm not, you know, not necessarily like the best at any of these things because I've never done them before. So I, I've, I totally made some mistakes. Uh, and, um, I've, I, hopefully I'll, I've learned from them and next time around I won't make them again. But uh, yeah, I mean, there's there's definitely times where I, uh, especially when I discovered the uh, so we had a, a punchboard issue with the uh, with the printing where uh, I realized that uh, much to my dismay that that we had submitted the wrong files for the B side of the punchboard, and uh, I just I, I kept replaying the moment in my head when I approved that punch board and I just, I could see it and I knew it. And I was like, Oh man, how could I have made that mistake? And it's just, I just, there's just so much going on. Uh, but then making the decision to reprint the punch and then everything that followed, uh, I don't know if I would do that again. <laughs> <laughs> like, uh, I think the version of the game you got has the, has the incorrect punch board. Yep. Uh, but you know, for the for the copies that we had extra that were intended for uh, for people to buy who didn't back the game, we repacked it with an additional sheet of punch. So you know, we spent all that money on that thing. We put it on. The, at the end of the day, I don't know how many people would have actually cared. We probably would have been better off just printing some extra punch and then shipping it out to anyone who asked for it. Uh, but uh, yeah. So anyway, um, decisions like that where you you where I got to that moment where I was like, what should I do? Should I try to fix it or should I leave it? And 
there's no one really to turn to. Right, right, right. To ask, what should I do? <laughs> I could ask people for, like, what do you think? But ultimately, I got to make that decision. You could call uh, up was Chris, a... be like, mentor me. Tell me. <laughs> tell me what to do. <laughs> You'd say, you should have done a better job checking your proofs. Um, uh, so anyway, yeah, stuff like that is really, really hard. And, yeah, you, you in those moments, I, you know, I just really wanted to, you know, hide <laughs> but then you have to you have to make the decision you have to tell the backers what's happening you got to say hey you know in that moment is like well we're just going to delay the game a bit so uh sorry hey. and yeah none of that stuff none of that stuff was fun i was pretty down in the dumps after that someone needs to make a call and you know people are still pretty stoked about the game anyway now yeah exactly exactly no that's the good thing is everyone's still really enthusiastic which is awesome right and we're almost there almost there almost there so with the game, the, the actual gameplay itself and, you know, like entering into the world of the game, uh, one thing that I just was over the moon about in my review, um, which even if I was, wasn't trying to avoid spoilers, I would have spent so much time gushing about, was the tutorial. I feel like it is a tutorial that seems so obvious and so natural in retrospect, but it feels like I've never seen anything like it personally in the tabletop boxed adventure games. Talk to me about the evolution of this like tutorial that handles narrative, character creation. It handles introduction to rules concepts unfolding as you go. Yeah, so this was in your list of things that you wanted to talk about, and I was trying to remember. I was trying to remember what made me think of this, and I think ultimately what happened is I just woke up one day with this idea, where I wanted to, where I wanted to make a game out of the the character creation process. I wanted right. to create like a, uh, because I I know that people who come to this style of game they they can be really intimidated by the uh, the prospect of like building a deck and since our character creation process is th so thematic i uh can you hear that dog barking in the background <laughs> i love dogs so you know it's just a uh, <laughs> flavor you know all right adds character to the interview uh, we've been adopted by a dog down here so he's he's been hanging out for the past few days costa rica um, i expected velociraptors you know <laughs> i haven't gone too much of the jungle yet so maybe they're out there um, so, uh, so it kind of started with this thinking, thinking about the deck building process as a, uh, like making it a kind of a, a drafting game between the people at the table. So you could do it together. Um, you don't need to make any really crunchy rules decisions. You don't need to spend a whole lot of time reading cards. You can just kind of pick the things you think look cool and put them in your deck and then go and just see how, get a feel for how the systems work. Uh, because also another thing about deck building in these games is that you're kind of asked to build your deck before you even have an opportunity to play it. You're right, so, right, right. So it's like, how do I know what I want in my deck without, you know, I have no context for any of these things. Like, I, I think that sounds good. <laughs> I'll, I'll put that in there. But then you play it like, this is terrible. Um, so, uh, so yeah, so like trying to create a, um, trying to create a game experience where you were eased into the game's concepts 
and also ease into the deck building um, because the way we have you build your decks is is kind of modular. Like you have your your background, your specialty, your your personalities. Uh, it allowed it allowed me to segment that out so that you could introduce them slowly. Um, and then by the end, you have your full deck, and then you have a, at least some sense of how the game is played. And then at the end, you know, we give you the opportunity, like, hey, if you want to change everything, go ahead. But right, right, right. You get the idea. Uh, so, um, so yeah, it, it just kind of came to me one day, and I, and I think um, when I think back to uh, similar experiences, I think uh, probably the most similar is like the beginning of like an Elder Scrolls game. Right. Uh, I just played the opening of Oblivion again the other day. I was like, yeah, this is really similar to what we're doing, you know, where it's just, it's taking you through, it, it introduces concepts, it like brings things to your character, and then before you got in the world, you have a chance to undo everything and start right. all over again. It's a completely familiar experience, just not in the context that you have it. And you must be one of the few people on the planet that has spent more time than me thinking about how games are taught right you know like uh, and <laughs> yeah. i've obsessed over this both in a tabletop and video game thing like i, I one time heard shigeru miyamoto um the the famous uh creator of mario and zelda and all that kind of yes. stuff I, like explaining I, I, I know i know of him <laughs> yes yes you know uh you know i at one time uh heard him uh explaining the uh, opening of the original mario brothers where you know like if you have the controller and you're just moving forward the first thing that you do is you have that direction pad you can't move left okay i can't up and down they don't do anything i move right and you just hold that button down and boom you die by goomba okay so yeah. then you start right over at the beginning and then you go what else can i do i move over okay and then i have jump okay i jump over the goomba and just like everything about the first level one one is designed in such a way to organically teach you this now that's not the same thing that you can do in a tabletop game because you you can't just feel your way through it there's there's rules that you have to apply the game can't apply them on you in the same way that a video game can but uh the kind of unfolding process is about as naturalistic or organic of a project uh, a product um, or a, a progress through the tutorial that i can imagine uh, and uh, I, I'm wondering if in your play testers, was that something that, you know, really struck them? Uh, was it, you know, something that was just kind of glance over? For me, it felt like this is the evolution. Knowing your history, I remember when Fantasy Flight had the tome of a rule book that was, you know, indecipherable. I remember when, <laughs> you know, like Eldritch Horror had the separate rules reference and then the learn to play guide i remember when imperial yeah. assault came out with three rule books and you know like <laughs> clearly you've spent a lot of time thinking about how people absorb information in games yeah yeah 100 yeah absolutely um yeah and i, I went through that too and uh, at chip theory because i uh, worked on cloud spire second edition and we worked we did a tutorial for that and um yeah it was really important for me to try to do something that was not what we ended up doing in Cloudspire or not doing what is done in Root where mm -hmm. the game is really, you're just following the instructions and you're not really making any decisions. 
you're you're just doing what it says and uh from my experience because i've played i've played root a, f- a few times but not in such quick succession that i never had to play the tutorial <laughs> right but it's because of the way that it's structured and how prescriptive it is uh it just it never lodges in my brain i can never remember how to play because i'm not actually thinking i'm just doing what it tells me to do you're performing um, yeah so uh so yeah so i know you called it a tutorial it's the prologue i, I mean i think we i think i tried to say even in the beginning like this is not a tutorial <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> though a lot of people you know feel like it should be or call it a tutorial kind of colloquially um and that's and actually uh, some of the feedback i've gotten from uh, from some people is like that it's not uh, it's not prescriptive enough. Like it's too freeform. It leaves out details. I'm like, yeah, it leaves out details. It's fine. Like I tried to have this thing where it's like, this is a way of bringing other people into the game mm-hmm. or a way of trying to test your knowledge of the game after you've read the rule book. Right, right. And I, I think that's exactly what worked for me is that I when i read a rule book that's uh linear unless it's an incredibly simple game then i i have like this bank of information but it really isn't applied to anything right and then there's a second time of learning the game where you sit down and you have the rule book and you're like okay uh now i'm going to play around with the components and actually kind of check my understanding Um, And that's doubly hard in a game with a lot of systems and a lot of expectations. And it's a game that wants to be different than most other games out there. Like, this is not, oh, it's another version of Descent. Uh, You know, it's not Arkham Horror. If you know Arkham Horror, then you're going to be able to pick this up, no problem. This is a a fundamentally different system. And uh, reading the rulebook start to finish, which I, I I did before sitting down with the prologue, it was, you know, kind of abstract. I was like, okay, I kind of get it. I don't know. I can hang up anywhere. What are the consequences? Is this going to work? But with that context, then sitting down with the prologue, it was just such a fluid experience. And yeah, I did have to reference back to things and check my understanding. Um, but I got to tell you, it's a hell of a lot better than learning War of the Ring for the first time with the original <laughs> rule book because I had that first edition. Yeah, me too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I'm glad you liked it. Yeah, the yeah the feedback we got from the testers uh, was, was really positive. Um, yeah, I was really excited about it. Uh, it's uh, It's... I think rules wise, content wise, it's the one, it's the, uh, maybe the only thing in the game that I've like really authored myself. So, uh, I was really, I was really great. I was nervous, uh, to have it tested. Uh, but it went over really well with everybody and they had a really good time and yeah, we've gotten lots of, lots of positive feedback on it. I'm glad people enjoy it. Um, and it's only a couple pages, which is great. <laughs> This game is an open world game, which means there's a lot of content that in one campaign, um, which can take place over many sessions uh, without getting too spoilery here. uh, How difficult was it to design around the ability to let the player just kind of find their adventure and maybe funnel them into certain directions if you could kind of catch them, but also give that freedom and flexibility to just kind of explore. 
Yeah, no, it was. Uh, you you could uh, uh, have another interview with Andrew Fisher and talk to him about uh, the challenges <laughs> he he had in turning it into an open world game. Um, but I think the uh, the challenge uh, I think we we the challenge was trying to make sure we had touch points that kept things moving, uh, regardless of what you ended up doing. Um, and that was something that was really important to me. Is I wanted, I was really inspired by uh, I read uh, Dungeon World. Uh, I think in 2019, uh, the RPG book, uh, and what I what really struck me about that book and the way that the game world was described there is they made a point of talking about the world as of exist of existing outside of the uh, outside of the player's actions, and to imagine what would happen in the world if the players took no actions. Um, so I really wanted to have a similar thing with Earthborn Rangers where the world feels alive so that regardless of what you do, things things are happening. Mm, and yeah. you can interact with those things or not. <laughs> and it's really up to you. And we just needed to make sure we had a system in place that moved things along regardless of uh, of what your actions were. And that doesn't mean that the plot will like auto resolve. It's a different outcome if you don't engage, but there is an outcome, and that was a really important part. And I think that's that's kind of the secret of of keeping the uh, a, a, a overarching narrative going in this open world experience, where you can really just strike off in any direction, do whatever whatever the heck you want. It was a great confluence of things in my life to have this come at the same time that Baldur's Gate just came out right you know and this realization that there are elements to this that um are unpredictable um though accounted for uh and that's what i love you know like in playing Baldur's gate uh there are so many things in the game where i'm like oh my god this is aware of this or i never expected a game to you know be counting how many times i take a long rest or something and then maybe <laughs> i missed an opportunity because of it uh and this game because it's not necessarily a, a game where there's like a clean fail state and there's also not a real fail-forward element. It's not episodic in the way that a lot of campaign games are. You start becoming suspicious of everything, Andrew. <laughs> <laughs> that day clock on the top, you're like, should I camp? I, I, what's going to happen if I camp? You know, like, what's going to happen with this lingering quest? Uh, and, and I love that it feels so vibrant and alive uh, because of that. Um, and, you know, like uh, even flipping one of the uh, cards to uh, see how you did on a skill check and seeing that there's weather elements that are going to trigger based off of that that were unpredictable. And then sometimes those lead into really niche and obscure and lengthy, interesting things like, uh, you know, the, the level of machinations to get the the essence of this game working is, is stupendous i gotta imagine that you guys internally playtesting that it, it must have been tremendously difficult yeah yeah it's really really hard um and i think it's also hard to you know keep myself in check because when i would play it uh so i, I played through it a couple times uh and my my 
most impactful playtest I did was uh, spring of man has it been that long already spring of, <laughs> spring of 2022 yeah spring of 22 um and i wanted more and more reactivity like i kept like coming like having these moments like where that you can't you can't plan for them in the outline uh you have to just play the game and encounter the situation and i'm like well if this is happening then i want this to happen uh, I want this person to say this thing in this certain in this instance because of X, Y, and Z. So, uh, it, if I could, if, if word count and page count were no, uh, if it, if if it were an app, <laughs> I was about to ask, like, is there? <laughs> then the, we could there's... do anything. We could track all sorts of stuff. Right. I, right. I think the physical component is really important. Um, so uh, we wanted to try to check ourselves there, but yeah, I'm not gonna lie. There's a part of me that. Kind of wants an online campaign guide that we can just go nuts, and right? Do whatever we right. want. Well, it occurred to me while I was playing. Um, you know, there is a limitation to uh, keeping it as a physical product, which means that you'll have certain uh, repetition if you were playing the same game over again. There's going to be a lot of distinct things that are different, but because it's you know like beginning point. Um, you know, you're going to run through the same narrative beats a couple times. You'll like have certain instances happen, just like playing a video game. Like even if you're right. playing an open world video game, you play Skyrim or Oblivion or, you know, whatever, again, you're going to have certain things come up that are, oh, I remember that happening, even though it felt so emergent the time that you played it before. Uh, you really could come out with, DLC for this game using all the same physical components as far as cards, but just coming up with new narrative moments. Like you, you really built a structure that allows you to just come out with like, oh, here's a print and play campaign. If you're willing to print 25 pages or something, um, or just refer to a website or something, then here's all kinds of different narrative beats that you could play with. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's 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 definitely uh, an important part of the design that I wanted in there, uh, and that is uh, definitely something that uh, is intentional. Like the way that the the way that the journal entries are printed on the card and not are, are and are not necessarily the narrative isn't necessarily baked into the card itself. Right, allows us to do anything with those cards that have those journal journal entries on them, and that is one hundred percent part of the plan. Well, then let's talk about the plan. First off, naming the company. You are Earthborn Games. You are clearly committed to this game itself. Was there ever any anxiety about like, well, are we are we pigeonholing ourselves by naming <laughs> ourselves after our like flagship pro uh, product? Uh, no, it was a uh, so yeah that it was that came out of a conversation I had with a uh, a former former coworker when I was telling him about the company and uh, before I'd even it was when I was telling him about the company but before but before we had we had the game idea in mind and uh, I was excited to share like that we because I was going through a bunch of different names trying to figure <laughs> out what. What what's a good name? It's a lot of names are taken. Let me tell you that. It's like naming uh, a band. I get it. It is. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, selling on Earthborn was really exciting. And um, when I told it to him, he's like, "Oh, that's a really good name for a game." I was like, "Oh yeah, you're, that is a good name for a game. You're right." And then it kind of just that that's was kind of the leaping off point for me, uh, from in my imagination to to kind of run with the setting. Um, 
But no, I think uh, having it be Earthborn Rangers and our and we're Earthborn Games. Um, no, there's no not not concerned or worried or you, you know I, I full full confidence. I knew what we we're making was was awesome. I, I believe in it, and I think it's an, I think it's an, I think it's an incredible game. And uh, it's just one less name you have to remember. I, I suppose that's true. I suppose that's true. <laughs> it's like it's like Catan. You know, Catan Studio makes Catan. Earthborn makes Earthborn Rangers. It's just easy to remember. Then is that what your plan is going forward, or do you have lots of irons in the fire? Like, how committed are you to Earthborn Games? Is making Earthborn Rangers, and that's what we will be known for, or are you already thinking about like? Well, what's our Euro game, or you know, like what's what's our our soldiers on a map game going to look like? Are you, uh, you know, yeah, thinking about and, uh, diversifying the library? Yeah, we're definitely not uh, doing the FFG approach of like we need one game in every single category. Yeah, right, right. Uh, who knows? Maybe one day we'll get there, but that's definitely not part of the plan. Um, no, so uh, yeah, we're we're very committed to the Earthborn setting and uh, and very committed to Earthborn Rangers. So the plan for Rangers is we have this uh, campaign uh, expansion that'll be coming out soon. We also uh, kickstarted that at the time of the first game. Um, we have an upcoming Game Found campaign where people can late pledge for that campaign expansion. They can get on board the second printing of, printing of the game. And we'll have more ranger cards. You can get another all sorts of fun stuff. But the uh, the long term plan for rangers is we'll have this campaign. We have two more campaigns planned. Uh, we have more ranger card expansions planned. Um, I'm not sure how long that will take. It, this takes a very it takes a very long time to make <laughs> a game that's this detailed with this much writing with this much art. Uh, it's it's a lot of work and it's uh, and I and I don't think it's worth rushing because uh, if we rush it then it's going to be bad. So um, so I'm not sure how long it will take. I'm not sure how much we will grow. I'm not interested in being a huge company. Um, but ideally, you know, we'll, we'll I think if we can get to a spot where we're releasing a game a year, I think that's that's pretty nice. I'd like that. That sounds like a good pace to me. Um, but yeah, so the next few years we'll be doing more Earthborn Rangers and then. We have a really huge idea for like the culmination of of the story uh, that I was just thinking about earlier today, again in preparation for this discussion. And uh, in some ways, I think it might be even bigger than the than the core game. In the end, we'll see. Uh, we'll see what happens. Um, but uh, yeah, so we'll do a lot of stuff with Rangers. We also have another game we've been working on for the past couple of years um, that uh, we're going to be hopefully uh, revealing to everyone at the end of this year and then bringing the crowdfunding uh, sometime next year. And uh, I have one other game, one other idea that came to me very recently. I had a day where I just had all these ideas pour in <laughs> uh, for just a board game um, that is not, a, not an Earthborn setting game, but a really a game that I think would be really, really cool and speaks to a lot of uh, what I enjoy in life. Um, so yeah, we're really just I, what I tell the guys is I, I just really want to make games that we feel passionate about, we feel right. strongly about that are games that we will enjoy. Like I, I feel like if we ever make a game where we say to ourselves, "What do we think will sell?" Uh huh. You failed. Then it's time. Yeah, it's time to hang it up. Like I. Right. I don't want to do that. I just want to make games that that we that we feel inspired by. So. 
so yeah, we have uh, one other significant iron iron in the fire, and then one that we're just kind of just kind of started talking about recently. But we got to get this this campaign expansion done. You know, this might be uh, the most PR question that I can ask. You know, but uh, what do you want people to think of as like? the principles of your company because you know like obviously you worked for a long time for the biggest dog in hobby board games uh you know and uh or at least on this side of the pond and towards the end there um it became less uh probably uh the the type of company or at least run with the same principles and ideas and goals uh than it was founded on and that you were accustomed to and it seems like throughout this project both through just like playing it as a as a product that i got to get my hands on and then also talking to you and knowing what some of these sensibilities are you know like what do you want people to think of as like core tenets of earthborn games or, you know, core principles, convictions even? <laughs> yeah. Well, I think that's, it's two things. It's the, it's the sustainable production. So like mm -hmm. always trying to do as little harm to the earth as possible when we're making what we make. Uh, and to me, that means sourcing responsibly and creating games that aren't just going to, again, just, go to a landfill and last on this earth forever and be here long after we're gone. To be a remnant in the artwork of Earthborn Rangers. <laughs> right, exactly. <you> know? <laughs> like the goal is, is that eventually our games will biodegrade and be gone. Um, uh, you know, that's not going to happen in our lifetimes, but it, it, the, the, the plan is, is that they'll go away. That's, okay. That's, this that's might be good. a little bit depressing, but I really hope that you put as a, as a subtle dig um you know to maybe your least favorite game that you ever worked on or you know you were tangentially related to and a component from that is you know like a background shot in earthborn rangers and you know it's clearly it's being there. misused in some way uh but it has been adapted into you know like a ritualistic totem or something that <laughs> you know has a shaman is wielding as a thing of power they're like they're in a uh, temple built of action figures a cyber demon um, from doom you know <laughs> right uh yeah so the the production the sustainability side of it is one thing and the other thing is the the types of stories we tell the types of the themes and creating experiences that uh are are deeply enriching to the people who play them like that's something that's really important to me i i'm not interested in creating uh, just kind of like frivolous diversions. Uh, I really want you to, when you play our games, to really feel invested and to feel that we put a lot of love and care and attention into it and you can feel it coming through and that it affects you deeply. Like, that's the goal. So uh, hopefully people feel that way and hopefully they feel like the thing that we made enriches their lives and they feel better for having played it well having never spoken to you in the past andrew and only knowing a bit of your reputation and a little bit of the reputation of the team and for the most part going in blind that was the feeling that i got so at least in that it is clear that you know this is an authentic game with a point of view that is you know both 
something thoughtful, but also damn mechanically interesting. It's a gamer's <laughs> game too. It's it's not just like a fluffy feel good thing. It's like, oh my god, how are we going to navigate this thing? It's near and it's far, and I got to be able to get over this, and we're going to you know like exhaust this and be able to. It, it's a hell of a game, and uh, I, I'm really impressed with what you have so far, and I can't wait to see what's on the horizon. I'm still working on the game myself and diving through and telling everyone here in Juneau, Alaska about it. So I really appreciate you taking the time to talk with me about Earthborn Games and Earthborn Rangers. Thanks for coming on the show, Andrew. You're welcome, Jack. Thanks for having me. 